0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I have the weirdest name of any pastor in Tallahassee in case you're wondering. Uh, so again, that name was Fizey You. If I haven't gotten to meet you, I would love to get a chance to meet you uh, at the end of our service. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our series in Acts. And I want to say two quick things before we get started. One of those is at the end of our service, we're having something I'm really excited about for some of our college students and some missions, things that are happening. So I want to encourage you to stick around until the end because I've got something really important I want to share with you that I think God is doing in the middle of our church right now that is really exciting. The second thing is uh, our school is having an, their elementary musical this weekend. And listen, it, they do a fantastic job of that. I mean, they just, it's, it's really, really awesome. If you're interested in that, if you can see Nicolette Phillips, she can, you can get information from buying tickets from her. We'd love for you to come and support the school and see how awesome these kids do. It really is. It, it really is awesome, you guys. Um, now, that's all my announcements for right now. We're going to be continuing our series in Acts. And before I get started, um, I just want to tell you this. There's, there's this commercial that always makes me laugh. Now, don't judge me as I tell you about it. I know it's a Baptist church. But, but there's this line in this. It's an older commercial. But there's this line that says this. He's the life of parties that he has never even attended. If he were to punch you in the face, you'd have to fight off the strong urge not to thank him. Sharks have a week dedicated to him. He is the most interesting man in the world. And then the very last line of the commercial says, stay thirsty, my friends. Now, I told you not to judge me. So if you're judging me, I'm judging you back. Okay, That's, we'll, we'll agree with that. Like, Listen, I, I like that last line. Stay thirsty, my friend. The reason I like that, the reason it popped up today is, to be honest, I think that's really good advice for us in the church. Not, not stay thirsty for the beer he's selling. I mean, stay spiritually thirsty. Okay, there's a spiritual thirst that is essential. I mean, it's, it's a bottom line, baseline essential to what it means to follow God and be a follower of Jesus. That, that, that's what it is. It, there's no options. If you don't know spiritual thirst or spiritual hunger, then you probably don't know what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Like, if, if there's no strong desire or hunger, almost a, an aching or a yearning, that's right, I said yearning. If there's not a yearning for God, man, I'm not sure that you haven't missed something significant in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you what one of the Psalms says. Psalm 63, verse 1. I want you to listen to the desire and longing and hunger and aching that the psalmist says in this chapter. Verse 1, he says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Did you hear all those descriptions? All the desire, all the thirst. I'm, I feel like I'm going to faint. I feel like I'm in a desert. And I want you like I just want a drop of water right now. That, that's how David describes his, his hunger and his desire for God. I guess the question I want to start by asking is, Can you identify with that? That's not a picture of everything is honky-dory and you're walking along skipping through rows of roses and fields of daisies. That's not the picture at all. It's just this picture of desire and hunger. And I want to know if you understand that. I want to know how hungry are you for God. And I want you to be really honest with yourself today. There's no reason to play games. God knows how hungry or not hungry you are. And, And I fear I fear that for some of us here, we know nothing of what it means to hunger for God. I fear that for way too long, the church has allowed us to skim by and justify never desiring or hungering him, that church is something we do almost as a hobby or a pastime, instead of this thing that comes out of a heart that burns for knowing God and making him known. Man, I... I think the passage today in Acts has something to say to us about that type of hunger. Now, now let me remind you where we've been in Acts. That's where we're going to hop in Acts chapter 13. And if I'm honest, Acts has been one of the most difficult books of the Bible for me to preach through. It's story after story, and I have to work really hard to make sure I'm trying to get the main point of the passage. And sometimes it feels like I'm missing it, but I think I've got it right this week. So we're in Acts chapter 13. Let me tell you what's been going on up to this point in Acts. Jesus has left this really rough group of followers of Jesus. They're scared, they're weak. Quite frankly, they're pansies. I don't know what else to say about it. That's probably too harsh of a word, but they're just, they're, they're weak leaders, They're not bold. They're not strong. They're they're scared and hiding in a room, and he leaves them there and says, I want you to take my message to the ends of the earth. And they're like, okay. And so they go and wait, and they don't do anything until God gives them the spirit. And it immediately changes these cowardly men and women to people who are going to go out and radically love one another. I mean radically love. They, they're going to hunger for the word. They're going to love the people around them. And they're going to boldly and lovingly proclaim the good news to the city that's around them. And that, that gospel spreads real quick. I mean real quick. And by the end of the, the, a couple chapters ago, you see that the entire part of Israel is saturated with the gospel. And now God is pivoting to go beyond just the Jews he 's taking it to people like us, the outsiders, the Gentiles, is what it would say in the Bible that now God is is at the start of a movement of the gospel radically exploding to every nation and every man, woman, and child on the planet so that 's where we 've been and here 's what we just finished off last week. Paul and Cy- Paul and Barnabas have been on the island of Cyprus and they 've walked one hundred miles on this cutting edge mission trip that has never been done before and they 've shared the gospel on the entire island at the end of that little mission trip on Cyprus, they lead a guy named Sergius Paulus, who's kind of the head Roman official of the area. They lead him to Jesus with this crazy encounter with a magician. That's all. Listen, you have to read that on your own. I'm not going to preach that sermon again this week. But if you're, if you're curious, Acts chapter 13. So let, let me pick up and let's see what they do after they've gone through the island of Cyprus. Acts 13, and we're going to be in verse 13. It says this. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Apparently it was too hard for John, whatever the reason, he deserts them. That's, we'll find that out in a couple chapters that Paul considered this a desertion, and he goes back home to Jerusalem. Verse 14, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day... Um, they went to the synagogue and sat down. Let me just hit pause right there. Like That's a whole lot of boring details, but let me flesh that out for you. What Paul and them have just done is they sailed from Cyprus, went north to the bottom of Turkey, and they're literally going to travel 100 miles to the Taurus Mountain. I don't know how to say that, but it's a really rocky mountain range in, in Turkey. If you're curious how intense this was, uh, you need to look up the Sicilian gateways. That's You can Google that right now and you'll see pictures of of cliffs and steep drop-offs and narrow roads. This was a very difficult 100-mile journey that these men were taking. And on top of it, it was an area that was known to be full of bandits and robbers. And so when I'm reading this and I'm looking at it, I'm asking this question, why in the world would Paul and Barnabas decide, you know what, we're going to go north, through this really rough area. We're going to go through a mountainous area, a dangerous area, a difficult area. Just get to this to this middle part of Turkey. Well, that middle part of Turkey they're going to, it's uh, a place known as Galatia. If you've heard that before, we recently went through the book of Galatians. That's the people that Paul is probably writing to. So when we read these next couple chapters, those are the people that Paul is writing the book of Galatians to. The people he's about to meet are gonna be the found gonna start this foundational church in this area and it's gonna spread through that region. And I'm I'm looking at it, I'm saying, Well, is Galatia the next possible stop? I mean, you're in Cyprus, let's start heading closer to Rome. That's that's not what Paul and them do. I'm not sure exactly why, but I also know it was really tricky. Galatians chapter 4, verse 13. We find out that Paul was there because he was sick. He said this in Galatians. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. That's what he says in Galatians 4.13. So we know that Paul is really sick, and for whatever reason, Paul is heading up to this region in Galatia. It's difficult, it's dangerous, it's risky, and, and there's additional research that I found out as I was studying this, that, there were, that Sergius Paulus, the guy who they led to the Lord at the last place, and I'm helping you put together why I think he went here, uh, Sergius Paulus's family owned a huge estate in this area of Pisidian Antioch. And so here's what I think happened. They lead Sergius Paulus to the Lord, and they're talking, and all of a sudden, Paul gets sick with whatever he's got, and Sergius Paulus is like, listen, I've got tons of family. They need to hear the gospel. I'm going to write you a letter of recommendation. I want you to go up to this region. You can try to get better up there, go through that hard journey, but that's a really great place for you to start sharing the gospel. Also, there were tons of Jewish people in this area. One guy named Josephus said there's 2,000 families of Jewish people kind of in that area that we find out in those ancient times. So he's taking this long, difficult journey, and and here's what I think is happening there. I think because Paul was faithful with Sergius Paulus, it created more opportunity for him at the next step in Galatia. And so he's sitting there going, you know what, if that's the next step, that's where I'm headed. He's not going back home because he's sick. He's not going an easy route. Let's go to a city that's easier to get to and I can rest there. For Paul and for Barnabas, the ultimate reason was not just gospel opportunity. The ultimate reason was that they felt like the gospel was worth all the risk and the suffering and the hardship that they would do just to get to that region. Now now listen, here's why I want to point that out to you. Listen, when we live faithfully in the mission, I want you to know that even our suffering becomes an opportunity to advance the gospel. Like, you don't just share the gospel when it's easy or convenient. We, we don't just live on mission when all of a sudden there's room in our schedule for it. We will never engage the mission if all we do is do it when we have room or margin or it's convenient or easy. If you wait, for things to be easy and convenient, you will probably never share the gospel with very many people. If you wait for it to be easy and convenient to build biblical community, you will never build biblical community because it will never be easy and convenient. Listen, what I want you to know is that that the reality is is Paul and Barnabas had every reason not to walk that difficult, brutal, 100-mile journey. But the reason they did it is they said, this is worth it. They said it was worth it. They said, we won't take the gospel of those people. It's, it's worth it. That's where it doesn't matter that Paul is sick. It doesn't matter that it's dangerous. It doesn't matter that it's crazy steep like the Appalachian Trail. We will walk those 100 miles because it's worth it. And church, sometimes I think that what happens for us is we've got this limited availability. Our, our work fills our days with a lot of time. And in the evenings and the weekends, we've got limited availability. And sometimes I'm afraid that what happens for us is we fill up those evenings with whatever you want to fill them up with, but what happens is the mission gets left in the dust. Walking with God gets left in the dust. Building biblical community gets left in the dust because we're too tired, and it's not convenient, and I don't have time for that, and I'm wore out, and I want you to know that the person that chooses how to fill your calendar is you. Your calendar might honestly be an accurate reflection of your priorities. No one—it's never convenient to sign your kids up for sports. Can, can we be honest about that? Sports after school—they don't feel convenient. You're going to drive all over God's green earth taking your kids to sports. But why do we sign them up for it? Because it's worth it, right? It, listen, going to Disney World—I promise you—is never convenient. Never, you're never like, you know what would be really convenient this week? I'm going to Disney World. It's never convenient. It's never convenient to stand in line for 45 minutes to an hour to two hours with your kids in the hot sun while they're screaming, saying, Dad, what are we doing here? Like, we're standing in line. Why are we standing in line? It's not because it's convenient. It's because it's worth it. And and church, I I want you to know. I I want you to look at your counters, and, and I want you to decide that the mission of Jesus, I want you to decide that community in the church, I want you to decide that it's worth it and it's never going to be easy and it's never going to be convenient. We've been talking about living on mission this entire time in Acts. We've been talking about people being together all the time, studying the Word, and one of the things I want to remind us is you will never do it if you wait till it's easy and convenient. You have to decide that it's worth it. And when you decide that it's worth it, just like you've decided that T-ball's worth it and Disney's worth it and going to an FSU game is worth it, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. I'm saying we do what we think is worth it, but for some reason it seems that when it comes to following Jesus, that's the one thing that we say we do that when it's convenient. And that does not honor Jesus as our Savior and King. It doesn't, and, and we will always be stuck trying to build biblical community and engage the mission if we always wait for it to be easy and convenient. Paul and Barnabas didn't wait for the easy cities. They went through the hard route because that was worth it to them. So, Okay, so that was a little side note. Let me get to the main point of what's happening here. So they finally show up in Pisidian Antioch, which is a huge city in that area, and they go to this synagogue, which is what Paul does every single time that he goes there. Look at verse 14 again at the end of it, he says this, so they make this long journey, 100 miles, and on the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue and sat down. And verse 15, says this, and after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So, so Paul stands up and he's going to do this. Now, I need you to picture this because that sounds weird. I mean, can you imagine, like, you show up at church and you're visiting and they're like, hey, man, can uh?" you got a message i 'm just going to let you come on up here and give you the mic like it, and it 's not even before he doesn 't even get before the service they 're mid service they've they 've already stood up and and shed, st- said their creed they 've already read from the law they 've read from the prophets, and now there 's the time for the little message and they just call up Paul and like hey man ad lib sermon let 's do this thing like that 's Really intense, I'm going to be honest with you, right? That's, that's, how, that's a good way not to treat guests at church. So if you're visiting today, I'm not going to ask you to give them preach a sermon. That would be awkward. That's what they did to Paul. And, and that's, I guess that's apparently a normal thing. Apparently Paul and Barnabas, they look at these guys and they know they, they know the Jewish law. They, maybe they knew that Paul was a student of Gamaliel. I don't know how they did this, but they just look at those two dudes and like, listen, you got something? Get up and say it. And Paul's going to do what Paul does which is he's going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to read that whole sermon because it is, it is long, but let me read the end of the sermon. Paul, is, he summarizes that God chose Israel and he chose David and he tells them God sent the Messiah and it was Jesus and he died on a cross, but God brought him back from the dead and this has always been God's plan. That's the message that Paul does impromptu, really awesome. But look at how he ends this sermon in Acts 13, verse 38. He says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that's Jesus, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. He's doing this invitation. like You can be forgiven because of Jesus. Verse 39, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of modes. Listen, Jesus offers you forgiveness of sins, and he can free you. The law never was able to do that, but Jesus can do that. This is really good news, you guys. For a whole bunch of Jews that have been weighed down by the law, they're here and they can be forgiven. They've heard the Messiah has come. They've heard they can be freed. That The law was never intended to do that. But right on the edge of that invitation to trust in Jesus, he also gives a warning. Verse 40, he says this, Beware, therefore. That's what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I do, I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. Basically, he says this you need to be careful. You have this chance of for forgiveness, you have this chance to be freed from the law, but you better watch out because you could miss it. Don't miss this offer of following Jesus. That's Paul's message phenomenal like that's a pretty intense thing for a guest preacher to do like can I just be honest like he just showed up into this Jewish synagogue and he says listen here's the deal Jesus came he's the Messiah you've been looking for you may not have heard about him but the leaders in Jerusalem killed him and don't miss it because if you miss it there's going to be serious consequences don't harden your heart that's what he tells them So it's this moment, like, what's going to happen? How are they going to respond? And this is the response that blows my mind. Look at verse 42 and 43. And as they went out, so they just wrap up the service and they leave. Look, Look at how this synagogue responded to that message. The people begged. Get in the pictures. They begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So Paul preaches this message, and the people of the synagogue are saying, dude, we got to hear more of this. Will you please, please, please teach us more? Like, we're begging you for more of the Bible. And then another group that's even more, she says, listen, no, we don't want to wait till next week. We want it right now. Like, we we want to hear now about how to follow God. So they've got this group of people like, oh, I'm all in. Like, I'm not waiting for a week. I'm not waiting for two weeks. I'm not waiting for a month. I'm following Jesus right now. And literally these people are begging. They're begging Paul and Barnabas to teach them more and more and more and more of the Bible. And It was that thing that got me thinking about hunger this week. I, I see these people, and they are starving for the word. They're starving for an encounter with God. They're starving for the gospel, and they're sitting there saying, it's not good enough for me to wait a week. Dude, can I get it again now? Can I get it today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after? I want more and more and more and more. Listen, church, I sit there and I think about that, and I, I can't help but sit there and wonder, what is it like to have people begging you to teach them the word? Yeah, I don't even know. And, and it's not even just that. Like, there's this thing in my heart that if I'm really, really honest, church, the, the thing that I want for you, the thing I want for you is that type of hunger for God and His Word. I'm not saying you want a hunger of me to teach you. That, that's not what I'm saying. Because I miss it sometimes, and sometimes I'm boring, and sometimes I got all these flaws. I'm not asking you to have a hunger for me. I'm saying what I want in you. What I believe the work of Jesus looks like in his people is this type of hunger where it's never enough. It's it's never enough. There's there's not this boredom with the word if you don't bring something new. Y'all experienced that in church before? There's this thing that happens where I've heard that, I've heard that. I've heard that. Give me something new. And when you give something new or creative or an illustration they've never heard before, then like, finally, someone who teaches the Word. But but that's not a hunger for God. That's a hunger for creativity or entertainment or a really good story. That's not the type of hunger I'm talking about. I'm talking about you as a people where there's this fire burning in you, where you want Jesus and his Word more and more and more and more. I don't know. If I'm honest, I look around at times and I see moments of it. I mean, I see moments where there's hunger here. Where for some of you, and, and it's not that I see all and know all. So I can't know how much you hunger for him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I can't see that. I I can't know it, but but there's pockets where I, I see hunger. Let me tell you a story. I'm gonna brag on these students a little bit later, but but uh, one of the things that happened is uh, I had plans for Wednesday nights uh, for a lot of training, and it just didn't it didn't stick well. Th- that was okay. Um, so what I did is I canceled all my Wednesday night trainings because uh, it just wasn't well attended. And uh, I grabbed a couple college students and I said, "Hey, my Wednesday night's just freed up. If I could pour into you, what would you want?" And and listen, um, let me tell you what they told me. They said, "If you just," they didn't ask me for bands. They, they didn't ask me for programs and activities. They just said. Can we just go through a book of the Bible? And they literally, they show up every Wednesday night, and they've been reading the chapter before we get there. They have notes. They have notes that they've written down for where they've been studying the Word. They don't want fancy. They don't want illustrations. They just want to talk about the Word. Like literally, Jesus and His Word is enough. That's the kind of hunger that I'm seeing here in Acts chapter 13. And, and I love it when I see that hunger. I, I love it when I see it in me, and I love it when I see it in you. But then I also have to ask this question. I, I have to ask us this. Like In some areas, I don't see that hunger. And I bet if you were honest, and you were ask yourself, do I actually hunger for him? If you were honest in a moment right now, the answer might be no. and Church, that, that concerns me for this. Like, it concerns me for you that I, if we're going to be people that hunger and say, man, I, I really want to know God and have his word, what does it mean? W- what does it mean if I'm not hungry like that? Well, listen, I, I'm going to show you what Paul said to some of it here in a moment because while some people were really h- hungry, other people, they were just really angry. I'll call them hangry. How does that sound? Uh, instead of hungry, they were hangry. Look at what happens in verse 44. Because you're that hungry and you're hearing it and you want it, you're going to start telling people about it. Verse 44 of Acts 13. So the next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word. Like, listen. These people in this synagogue were so hungry, it was contagious, and they're grabbing their friends, their co-workers, their neighbors, and can you imagine this? They literally pack out the synagogue with almost the entire city in just a week. There's no flyers. There's no internet marketing. There's no, hey, guess what? If you come next Saturday, we're going to do this little stick. There's none of that. It's just straight hungry people starving to know more of the Word, grabbing other people saying, you got to come and hear about Jesus. And they pack out this synagogue. I'm just trying to picture this scene. Like, can you imagine that? Like, if next week we showed up here, and I mean, Tallahassee's massive, so if almost the whole city showed up here, we'd be going, listen, we got to have 15 services, or 30, or a million. I don't know how many, but can you just imagine what it would feel like if all of a sudden, in a week, this place is packed, and people are standing along in the back, and they're not here because of some hero preacher. They're here because they want to hear about Jesus. Like, the excitement of that, The buzz of that, where you're saying, dude, I don't know what God just did. We went from a handful to a lot real quick. Like, like you'd be totally pumped about that, right? But that's not what happened at all. Look at what happens when the whole city shows up to this synagogue. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. So they get they get really upset. They get really jealous and they say, they begin to contradict what was spoken by Paul, even reviling him. So they start saying, it's in the middle of the service and now Paul is telling them about Jesus and the gospel and they start fighting with him right there in the middle of the service. And they start even, not just fighting, they start reviling is like, it's almost like they're blaspheming Paul. They're calling him names. They're being like, dude, you're an idiot. You're a heretic. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's a good old-fashioned church fight right out of the gate at the synagogue. But it's not even the nice kind. This This is the stuff that that Baptist business meeting nightmares are made of. Like they are standing up. People are yelling at the pastor while he's, he's bringing the message. And the crowds are all around wanting to hear the good news. And there's a fight breaking out in the middle of this thing. And I, I start chewing on that saying, man, what, what is going on? Was it, what's driving these people that made them sit there and say, man, I just, I don't like this. There's a couple things. It says they're jealous. Are they jealous of the crowds? maybe but you know in Romans chapter 10 verse 2 Paul uses that same exact word jealous and it's translated to zeal and it says this speaking of the Jews for i bear them witness that they have a zeal for god but not according to knowledge here's what i think's happening with them it's not just that they saw the big crowds they have this zeal this jealousy for god and i think the thing that's rubbing them the wrong way is that now, all of a sudden, God is not just choosing the Jews. He's going to the outsiders. He's going to the ones that aren't clean, that don't look right. And, and Paul is saying, all of you are welcome. You're welcome. He died for all of you. He wants all of you to be his people. He wants to make all of you his sons and daughters. And, and they're hearing this, and that. I guess that sounds good, until those people are actually in the synagogue with them. Until those people are packed out and they're about to be accepted, until all of a sudden their synagogue looks a lot different. It doesn't feel clean. It doesn't feel kosher. It definitely doesn't feel dignified and religious. And if they're going to maintain their reputation, if they're going to maintain God's reputation. They better get this under control and they better get it under control right then and there. What I believe that made them jealous, or zealous, or whatever way you want to translate that word, I think the thing that also went on for them is they were saying, listen, if following God means those people get to be in, then I'm out. You'd be saying, who would ever say that? Well, listen, I can give you some names. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, but I think people do this, because look at Paul's response. Paul and Barnabas have a very serious uh, Way that they they say this is what I think the issue is, look at how Paul and Barnabas respond after they 're saying mean things to paul i 'm saying mean it's worse than that it 's reviling verse forty six and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly now remember this is, this is a pretty serious little synagogue fight happened here, and here 's what they said it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken first to you isn 't that hey you 're God's people i it was important that I brought it to you first. Now, you need to hear this. They're not getting three months of warning on this. They're not getting three years of opportunity to slowly ease into the idea that Jesus wants to save everyone. They got this shot right here. And Paul wasn't playing games. It was necessary that I came to you first. But look at how he describes what they're doing. Since you thrust it aside, aside you, just, you shoved it away. you Get off me. That's what you just said to Jesus and his gospel, get off. You thrust it aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Listen, that that phrase stood out to me. When, When I hear that phrase, I think of someone that judges themselves unworthy of eternal life. I think of a different person. I don't think of a clean, religious, dignified person. I think of a person that has a really rough life and they're saying, I've done too much bad things. God could never save me. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's talking to the religious, the clean, the zealots for God. And he's saying, listen, you've decided that you're not worthy of eternal life. You you shoved it off. You said, I don't want it. You said, if it means they get in, I'm out. That's not what I learned. Get it away from me. And you've decided and judged that you're not worthy of eternal life. Look at what he says. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. So, Listen, he basically says, if you don't want it, they do, and I'm going to take it to them. Dude, can you? Can you? That's a pretty intense moment. Can you imagine that in a church? Like I, I, I'm picturing a a church business meeting, and all of a sudden there's tons of people getting saved, and all of a sudden some people are upset because this isn't here. This isn't here. But. You can picture this in churches, right? You've, you've heard things about that happened at churches. A church business meeting and the youth group's band is too loud and the people are showing up, they're not dressed quite right and, man, I feel like we're letting people sin and get away. I, I can see all those conversations happening and I'm picturing a pastor in the middle of that business meeting being like, listen, I'm not going to wait five months for you. This is intense. He's saying, if you want Jesus, you can have him, but if you don't want him, then I'm going to the people that want them. You guys, how intense and aggressive that is? Why? Why is Paul so aggressive about that? He is not going to allow the religious and clean to handcuff the advance of the gospel. He won't. I, I don't believe Jesus will allow it either. I believe that what Jesus says is he wants his gospel and good news to be clearly taken to every. Man, woman, and child. And for too long, churches have been handcuffed with tradition and stereotypes and fear. And they've locked themselves in. And it cannot be. You are not representing Jesus well when you do that. And the reality is what you might be doing, what you might be doing is you might actually be rejecting Jesus and God. In the name of protecting him. In the name of holiness and purity, in the name of tradition, in the name of, well, this is what my family taught me or my pastor taught me. In the name of all of those things, you might actually be rejecting God and not following him. And church, I take that and I sit there and think, well, man, some people were hungry and some people were hangry. And Paul's thing for the people that were hangry, I shouldn't use that word, that were upset was you're rejecting God. God. So, so here's my question for you. I'm, I'm connecting this back to a hunger. Well, what, what does it mean if, if you don't have a hungry heart? You, your, your rejection of God may not go as far as these guys getting Paul and Barnabas kicked out of town and standing up and having a church fight. Your rejection of God may only go to the level of apathy. But you need to hear this. I believe that an apathetic heart is just as much a complete rejection of God as a heart that says, I don't want this get away from me. I want you to hear that very clearly. If, If I list all the sinners that church people get really upset about, I'm going to be really direct here for a moment. I'm just going to go ahead and throw them out there. You know what people, church people get upset about? We will sit around and we'll talk about it. can you believe what those Democratic people passed in abortion this past year? Wish they would just repent and trust God. Meanwhile, there's an apathetic heart that could care less about Jesus and his word and the lost. And you're both rejecting God. You're upset about the people that are struggling with homosexuality. You're struggling with the people who are living with their boyfriends and girlfriends or having sex outside of marriage or addicted to stuff. I wish they would just clean up their life and stop being so dirty. Meanwhile, there's a church full of people whose hearts are stone cold to Jesus. and We're in the same boat. Listen, the apathetic heart is a full-scale rejection of God. He's too good, and he's too beautiful, and he's too glorious for you to encounter and just be, Meh. That's not him. And we cannot tolerate hearts that are just cold towards him, that never hunger. That's, that's not the way of Jesus. You need to hear your apathetic heart is just as much of a rejection as every person that just says, God, I could care less about you. It's the same thing. So what's the solution for an apathetic heart? Just just want him more? Is that what I tell you? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Make yourself love him more. Well, listen, for some of you, here's what I believe. Your apathy is that you've just simply crowded Jesus out. I'm going to give you some homework. You need to read Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Remember what he says there? Some fell on thorny ground. And what happened, those thorns, that's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, choked out the fruit. For, for some of you, you just, you've crowded them out. For others, it's more concerning than just distraction or a fickle heart. For, for others, your problem with apathy is what Jesus would say in John chapter 4. He, he talks about this. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, he talks about meeting him, and he says this, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, talking to the woman at the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him, look at this, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What's he talking about there? He said, listen, when you meet me, I will do something in your heart that just, it, you You're just constantly gushing with life that God is giving you and filling you. Like, yeah, you're still thirsty, but you're also thirsty. And there's a well in you of endless life connecting to Jesus and his good news and his glory. He also says this in John 7, a few chapters later, verse 37 through 39. He uses the same illustration and explains it even more. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see that again? Now this he said about the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. Listen, when you believe in Jesus, he gives you a brand new heart. Listen, the reason some people are apathetic is, is this. They may be religious and they may be good, but they've never met him. And what they need is... Is a brand new heart. Don't let your years of being in the church mask a heart that still hasn't met Him. For some of you, it's because it's been crowded out. For others, it's because you haven't actually been given a new heart. And, and for others, man, you're hungry, but it feels weak. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, no, there's moments when you get up and like, I think, just, I just want God, I want to know Him more. But it feels like it's just a real, small spark. You, like, you know what I mean? Like, it feels like, man, I'm, I think it's there. I'm not sure it's there, but, but I just feel so weak. Like, my desire for him feels small and faint. And I, and I, I want you to hear this. Well, what you need is you need the gentleness and grace of Jesus to fan that into your heart. Like, I, I'm not saying you've always got to have a blazing inferno in your heart. I'm saying when you meet Jesus, he gives you a brand new heart. And you may get distracted or it may be small and weak, but if you will come to him with humility and say, God, I want to know you and I want you to make this burn in me, he will take that little spark and he will blow wind on that thing and it will turn into a fire. Y'all ever started a fire? Have you ever done that, that moment when you're trying to start a fire, either in a fireplace or in a fire pit for your kids, and all you've gotten is just a little spark, and what do you do normally in that moment? You just, you just, you blow on it, right? You're giving it wind and breath and life and saying, listen, just that little spark is enough. If you feel weak, that's okay. You Go to Jesus and ask him to, to make that little spark of fire. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to guide us in a time of response. I just want to say this. I won't spend a long time. I, I'm just going to end this in the same way I, I started. Are you thirsty? Listen, it, if you're sitting there wrestling and you're saying, yeah, I'm I'm thirsty. I want you to spend a moment out there just thanking God for it. And I want you to pray for him to help you have more time with him, loving and worshiping him. For others, you're saying, man, I don't know that I've ever had a hunger for him. Listen, you need to do business with God and you need to figure out if that's because you've crowded him out or because you need a new heart. I can't answer that for you. But if it's because you need a new heart, listen, it's simple. Let me just tell you the good news. God says that God sent his son to us that while we were still enemies, while we were still apathetic towards him and uncaring, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. He basically said, listen, he paid the full price for our apathy and our our dead hearts, and he died on that cross, and the Bible says that God brought him back from the dead, and he makes this offer to us. If you will trust, you will trust in Jesus. He won't just forgive you. He will make you new. So I just want to encourage you right there in your seat. Would you ask him to save you? And put all your hope and trust in his work on the cross and not your own effort. Ask him to give you a new heart. For others of you, if if you've been choking Jesus out, would you just say, God, forgive me? And help him to give you affections that will help you choose better priorities to know and follow and go hard after him. He may have done something else to you. He's only want you to know. Our pastors will be down front at the end of the service. We'd love to talk to you if, if God did something in your heart. But don't leave here today with a cold heart. If God convicted you, talk with him about it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for all of us, for myself, for my family, for this church family. God, I pray you would make us a people that would, that we would humbly see our need for you. And God, I'm asking that you would make us hunger for you. That we would know what it means to have a new heart that is constantly overflowing with life from you. God, I pray you would work. Help us to be thirsty for you. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.